All right. Well, welcome uh, to uh, Plum Creek Chapel. Uh, so glad to see everybody and um, really looking forward to, uh, uh, to, uh, to diving in. You know, it's been uh, kind of a cold and snowy uh, week, but I've spent a lot of time up in uh, Duluth. And so whenever I get cold and snowy, I think it could be worse, you know. And uh, in fact, I, a friend of mine sent me a, a note this week uh, from up there. He said, uh, well, it's 15 degrees below zero today, so we're going to have one more cookout before it gets cold this winter. <laughs> and uh, that's kind of their attitude up there. So, uh, but uh, I am excited about uh, our topic. Uh, we've been going through the book of Acts, and we've kind of camped out here in uh, chapter 2 with uh, the end section there with that first church. You know, we kind of tongue-in-cheek called it Jerusalem Chapel, and we're comparing it to Plum Creek Chapel and kind of asking the question, what has happened over the last 2,000 years uh, in terms of uh, the church? And uh, But we, we are going through several observations from that first church. Last week we looked at two, and we're going to look at two more uh, today as we kind of just really park here for a while and, and take a look at what I'm calling the model uh, church. So just by way of review, uh, last week we talked about the importance of understanding the difference between mission and vision. Remember we said the mission is the timeless truth of Scripture that applies to all churches in this present age, and we are to be fulfilling the Great Commission, training up disciples. And it's a uh, uh, concerned with why. Why do we do what we do? Because this is God's divine design for the church. A vision, by contrast, is more specific. It's local, situational. It applies to individual churches uniquely, and it's concerned with how. So there are things, as we said, that Plum Creek Chapel can do in our unique geographic location and our unique uh, culture uh, that other churches uh, cannot do. Uh, so we sort of diagrammed it out this way, we said everything within the circle represents Christ's mission for his church. One uh, uh, expression of that comes from Mark 16, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But within uh, this mission, there can be multiple visions. And so we've got, you know, the Plum Creek Chapel vision, but there are also visions for other churches. And the thing that we want to guard against, and this is, I think, what has happened time and again throughout 2,000 years of church history, especially in contemporary times is that churches become an end unto themselves and they end up drifting away from the core teaching of God's word and the, the timeless truth of scripture and forget what it's about. And it's not about uh, us. It's about Christ. It's his church. And uh, obviously uh, the concept of a vision is something that is important and we ought to uh, always be checking on that. We're going to be kind of talking about this for the first uh, few weeks of this series here, and our hope is to sort of uh, tweak our vision a little bit, which needs to happen every so often. Uh, there, there are certain times when it's necessary for any church or organization to reevaluate the vision. Certainly at a minimum every 20 years or so, it just seems like that's a life cycle of an organization. But then again, whenever something major happens, whenever there's a, a shift uh, you know, culturally or some, some big event that causes us to step back and say, how can we fulfill Christ's mission and yet meet this need in a unique way that's true to Scripture? So the key is the mission. And uh, we talked about how our vision has to be tied to the mission. 
And obviously at Plum Creek Chapel, we are celebrating, as we said last week, 20 years uh, this year as a church, and we're built on a very firm uh, foundation of the authority of God's Word, great uh, Bible teaching. And, uh, and so, it, you know, uh, uh, Pastor John was uh, saying just a bit ago, we were visiting back there, he was saying uh, how encouraging it is to see such a good crowd here. And I said, well, it's a pretty easy foundation to build on when it's a foundation built on the Word of God. And that's our heritage. And uh, so, uh, but obviously as culture changes, all kinds of things change. I don't believe 20 years ago when you started the church that you had a thousand cameras and microphones and were broadcasting to people all across the, the world, right? Uh, so things do change, and that we want to make sure that we're using our gifts to their highest and best use to fulfill Christ's mission for His church, right? So then we talked about what happens when there's no unified vision, and we talked about a fractured vision, how if you know the leadership has one vision and the men's ministry has another, or maybe the women's ministry has another, or the music ministry has another, all of a sudden you've got all these wheels spinning off their axis, but we're not going anywhere. So we want to make sure that we're all... A kind of on the same vision, and we can avoid a fractured vision, we said, by focusing on the mission and, and regularly making sure that the way in which we do things, the how, remember, is always connected uh, to the why. So we're going to continue to take a look at the model church this morning, and I'm going to give you two more characteristics. But before we do that, I wanted to kind of sprinkle in a little bit more teaching about vision. Why is vision uh, so important. And the verse that comes to my mind is 1 Corinthians 14, verse 8. Now, this is in a completely different context. In the context, Paul is talking about gifts in the local church and the local assembly and, and how important it is to, that they exercise their gifts in a unified or in an orderly fashion and so forth. But still, the principle uh, is kind of, I think, said in a good way here by Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, 8. If the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? Uh, in other words, it's got to be clear and understandable. It's got to be something that everybody can get their hands around. Uh, the Old Testament puts it this way, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law. Now this, if you know much about Proverbs, is an example of contrasting parallelism. These are two lines that parallel each other. They say the same thing, but they do it in a contrasting way. You can always tell that that's the, this, the idea there with the word but in the English translation. Uh, but this is a proverb of Solomon, and the word vision corresponds to the law. So the idea here is where there is no uh, prophetic revelation, where there's no word of God, uh, revelation of God. Back in that day, a thousand years before Christ, it, was, it would come in the form of prophets speaking the word of God, right? Today... We have the complete revelation of God in His Word, so everything has to be run through the grid of Scripture. But the point is, where there's no prophetic utterance, where there's no Word of God, then people lose restraint. They're all going in a thousand different directions. But happy or blessed is the idea, are the ones who keep the law, that is, stay connected uh, to God's Word. So above all else, at Plum Creek Chapel, we're committed to the teaching of God's Word as the only standard for our beliefs, attitudes, and practices. And so, consequently, as you heard Gary a reference in his uh, testimony, one of the things that's very important to us is the clarity, accuracy, and urgency of the gospel. Uh, you know, we live in a day and age where the gospel is all over the map. Any old gospel will do, right? In fact, there used to be a saying, you know, if you wanted to 
make sure that someone knew that what you were saying was really true, you might say, well, it's the gospel truth. Well, in this postmodern age, you can't really say that anymore because there's a thousand different uh, gospels out there. But the Bible has only one. And it's quite simply that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for our sins and rose from the dead. And anyone who places their faith in Him and Him alone as the only one who can forgive sin and give the free gift of eternal life can be saved. Uh, very simple. Uh, and so that's part of the Word of God. More than 160 times the New Testament alone conditions eternal life upon faith alone in Christ alone. 160 times. So it really isn't that uh, complicated and it's not that uh, uh, you know, convoluted or confusing. It's pretty clear in Scripture. And so to our other uh, fundamental doctrines of Scripture, and we want to continue to echo those as this church has a long heritage uh, of doing. But just as the law provided direction in the Old Testament for God's people, so too does the Word of God uh, today. So where there's no vision, the people are unrestrained. Uh, a couple of quotes from when I used to teach uh, full-time that I thought were pretty good uh, explanations of vision. One writer said, a vision is a clear mental picture of a preferable future. A clear mental image of a preferable future. So one of the things we want to begin getting you to think about as we go through this year, uh, you know, last year was a banner year for Plum Creek Chapel in many ways. It was it kind of ended with some challenges as Satan really attacked, and we had you know more than 20 people uh, get COVID, including three of our five board members, and it was a rough rough go, right? In fact, Jeff mentioned, I don't forget, remember how he said it, but uh, what, are you guys, you're not together right now? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm motioning over here, and I thought, Jeff, you've, you're not as old as you used to look, but... Uh, but anyway, uh, he mentioned he something about I was going to preach on something, and he kind of left us hanging there. You didn't explain the full story there. Uh, I, he was talking about at Christmas. I missed two Sundays, two Wednesdays, and Christmas Eve when I was so sick. But one of the Christmas messages I was going to do was called, uh, I think I was going to call it Christmas Paradoxes or something like that, as your song so beautifully uh, articulated. But, uh, you know, as we as we think about last year, God really bless, and I, and I won't steal the thunder from next week when we have our uh, annual report, but, uh, but what does next year look like? What does 2022 look like? And I want to get you to begin thinking about where do you see Plum Creek Chapel one year from now, two years from now, five years from now? What are some things that we are not doing that maybe we need to do? What are some things that we've done in the past that we need to revisit? Ways that we can fulfill Christ's mission even better. Uh, what are some things that we've never done that maybe we need to do? What are some things that we're doing that we need to do better, right? So think about what do you see? Now, I know vision comes uh, easier for some people than others, right? Uh, I tend to be a visionary type person. I can picture things in my mind. Um, so this may or may not come easily for you, but I want you to, you know, think about our building. Think about our parking lot, which, praise God, we're going to be blacktopping this year. Uh, thank the Lord for that, and uh, thank Paul for all his efforts in keeping up our facilities here, which are second to none. Uh, but as you think about our building and, and our property, what, what do you see? What are some things that we can uh, do better? What's that clear picture of a preferable future? Another uh, person put it this way, the right vision is an idea so energizing that in effect it jumpstarts the future by calling forth the skills, talents, and resources to make it happen. So ask yourself, 
how can I play a role in helping Plum Creek Chapel accomplish its vision? Which, of course, accomplishes uh, our mission, our mission, Christ's mission for the church. So it's, it's a vision that is energizing. It reminds me of the student that, seminary student that turned in a sermon and he got a C on it. And the, he asked the prof, why did you give me a C? I thought it was a pretty good sermon. And the prof said, the sermon was great. It was your title that was terrible. You know, you need to come up with a better title. Your title was like, you know, the eschatological implications of Paul's uh, teaching within the pericopes of Philippians. You know, that, he said, that's not, that sermon is not going to, people fall asleep before they finish reading the title of the sermon, right? So he said, I tell you what, I'll give you a chance to return in the sermon again, but give it a good catchy title. He said, I want you to come up with a title that's so catchy, so energizing, so motivating, that if we put the title of your sermon on a marquee out in front of the church, and a bus happened to stop in front of the church, when people read that title, they would run into the church. So the student uh, said, okay, I'll take you up on that. So he returned in the sermon with a new title, Your Bus Has a Bomb on It. So... Um, <laughs> But that we want our vision to be to be energizing and explosive like that. Thucydides, this is going way back, 400 years, almost 500 years before Christ. He said, the bravest are surely those who have the clearest vision of what is before them, glory and danger alike, and yet notwithstanding go out to meet the challenge. So, you know, if, if you were here last year for our annual meeting, you know, we talked about this was in the height of COVID and all that. Of course, I think we're going to be dealing with this whole COVID pandemic thing for the new normal. But we talked about how we weren't even sure if we'd make it through the year in 2021 with all the changes coming so fast and so rapidly. And uh, we talked about the importance of courage and standing firm and letting the Bible be our guide and not worshiping at the altar of government and, uh, and so forth and so on. So, uh, well, here we are. We're into 2022 by God's grace. But still, it's a changing world. You know, I was talking to someone before the service about they have a friend in uh, Ukraine and about all that's going on over there. I mean, this world is a powder keg, and things could change just like that. So vision is absolutely critically important, and we all want to make sure uh, we kind of think about, uh, you know, the, the, the vision. So what is our vision? Well, it flows from our mission. It flows uh, from our mission. So let's take a look at a couple of more characteristics. We'll review what we talked about last week. The first one we said was baptism. Uh, if you look at verse 41, uh, Luke tells us, those who gladly received his word, talking about Peter's word, the sermon, were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. So we talked about uh, how important water baptism is as an initial first step. It's a way of identifying us with, uh, with the body of Christ, not identifying us with Christ. That's spirit baptism. That happens at the moment of faith. But just as a cultural expression, it's a way of saying, hey, I've placed my faith in Christ too. I'm with you. I'm one of you. And that's an important uh, part of the model church. You see that throughout the book of Acts, that when people got saved, they then publicly expressed uh, that faith with an outward expression of baptism. So baptism is an outward expression of an inward experience. It's not necessary to get you into heaven. It's not something that's salvific. That becomes only one way, by faith alone and Christ alone. But it is an important part of the New Testament church. Then we talked about community. Also going back uh, to verse 41, this idea of belonging, which kind of flows right out of baptism. Uh, 3,000 souls were added to them. We talked about 
the progress reports in uh, the book of Acts that Luke gives us all the way through the book of Acts that every so often he's going to say the Lord added to them, the Lord added to them, the Lord added to them. Then you get to chapter 6 and beyond and it's the Lord multiplied and the Lord multiplied. Well, if he's adding to them, then they got to know the number, right? And so that's why I do believe it's important to keep good records and to kind of know everybody that's here. Uh, we're going to be talking more about uh, membership at our annual meeting, and we're going to be making that available. Now, you don't have to be a member, quote unquote, of Plum Creek Chapel to be part of the family, but there are certain things that members uh, can do if there were major decisions to be made. Do we want the members to, to participate in that decision and so forth? Uh, so there's no pressure. We're not a big high-pressure membership church, but we do think it's biblical to kind of keep track of who's, you know, who's here. Uh, in fact, we're doing a directory. I was supposed to mention, and I think I forgot during the announcements, but uh, um, we're going to be talking about this church directory that we've been working on for some time and hopefully passing those out next week. So if you do not want your information, if you filled out one of those forms, if you do not want that um, you know, publicized or printed in the, uh, the directory, then please let Gary know, and we'll make sure that we kind of take, take care of that. But, uh, but I think that's important. Uh, clearly, the early church knew who was with them. They knew who was part of the team. They knew they had a number, right? They were adding to them. And so we talked about this idea of community and belonging, and we looked at the illustration of the, uh, the ichthus, the fish, if you remember that, and talked about where that came from and how it was a, a, a very important symbol in the early church to recognize other believers in uh, Christ. And so uh, at the end of verse 41, he says the 3,000 souls were added to them, this idea of community. And so that brings us to the third characteristic that I want to talk about, the first one today, and that is doctrine doctrine. Now this one uh, is extremely important. These are We're just addressing this in the order they come up in this last part of Luke chapter, of Acts chapter 2, but uh, doctrine certainly, if you read through the rest of the New Testament, especially the pastoral epistles, really becomes critical. In fact, I wrote uh, or published an article this past week uh, uh, that I'd written several years ago called Doctrine is Dead. If you haven't seen that, go to the Not By Works website and uh, check that out. It's on the banner on the homepage there, but it was also in the church newsletter. But it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek parody of uh, how most churches today don't really elevate doctrine. I can remember being at a conference where I was in the speaker's room waiting for my time on uh, the platform, and there were other speakers there, and I was just sitting and listening, and I remember hearing them talk about how doctrine is divisive, and how, it's how neat it is that we can all come together and speak, even though we have all these different views. Now, every place I ever speak, I give the gospel uh, clear as day, straight out of scripture. But these guys were actually celebrating the notion that they all disagreed about key issues and how wonderful and inclusive uh, it was. And that doctrine is uh, divisive was, was their, uh, their term. But not according to scripture. And right out of the chute, right at the beginning of the church, that first church founded on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, we read that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Doctrine. Now, what is doctrine? Doctrine is the embodiment of biblical truth. It's the way of articulating what God's Word says on various issues, right? Theology, as we've talked about in our Wednesday night series, is a process of you know, studying the Scripture, connecting the dots, using good, proper Bible study methods. But doctrine is when you sort of 
come to a conclusion based on the whole of Scripture, and you, you quantify it in writing. And in the first century, they didn't have the, the Bible. In fact, at this time, in 33 A.D., uh, the time that Luke is describing. Now, Luke wrote Acts at the end, in the late 60s A.D., uh, but he's describing the historical account of what happened shortly after the day of Pentecost in 33 A.D. And at that time, they didn't have any books of the New Testament. The earliest book of the New Testament was written in roughly 44 to 47 A.D., and that was James and Matthew, both written about the same time. Uh, so they're, they were still 10 to, uh, you know, years away from God revealing the written truth in the beginning of the New Testament. So when it says apostles' doctrine, we don't have apostles today because we don't need representatives telling us what God says. He's told us what he said right here uh, in his word. But the key that I've highlighted there is uh, doctrine. It helps us know what are our non-negotiables. When do we take a stand? What are the uh, essentials? And if you go to Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus, you find him reminding Timothy, his young son in the faith, that in this latter time some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. In 2 Timothy he says, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. And that's why he told Timothy, until I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. He said, watch your life and doctrine closely. In other words, if there were two things that he could warn Timothy about, it's, hey, watch your life, you know, your testimony, but watch doctrine. All right? He didn't say, you know, now don't forget to, you know, visit the shut-ins and don't forget to, you know, you know, Visit the homeless and don't forget to provide food, shelters, and all. Those are all important. Those are part of the equation. But fundamentally, doctrine is the key. Because doctrine forms the basis from which everything else springs forth. So, if we were to give you a quiz right now, do you know the doctrine of Plum Creek Chapel? I could probably ask Pastor John. He could articulate it, I'm sure, quite well. <laughs> Uh, and so could some of you, but you need to be familiar with it. And so just as a quick uh, uh, you know, summary, you need to understand that we as a church believe in the inerrant, infallible Word of God, that this God's Word is the only standard for our beliefs, attitudes, and practices. We're not accountable to any other hierarchy of, of religious or denominational uh, control, that this is our standard. Uh, we fellowship with a group of some 60 other uh, fellowship called the Berean Fellowship of uh, Churches uh, that are like-minded, uh, but we are autonomous in that sense. We are gospel-centered. Uh, you know, you heard Gary talk about how it was through the ministry of Plum Creek Chapel that he came to faith, and many others too through the years. Uh, and so, uh, we're gospel-centered. We are conservative in the sense that you know we believe the Bible means what it says. We believe the whole Bible. We don't rip out the parts that we tend to disagree with or that, don't, that we don't like. <laughs> Where this book differs from our beliefs, attitudes, and practices, we have to change. We don't change the Bible. We are pre-tribulational, premillennial, and dispensational. Those are big theological you know, $10 words, but it just means that uh, we believe that Christ will return first for the church before the tribulation period and then all the way to the earth to establish his long-awaited kingdom on earth. Uh, which we talked about during our 9 o'clock hour this morning. Uh, we believe that uh, God uh, has unveiled Himself progressively through Scripture, 
and that in different times God has interacted differently with mankind in different stewardships, different economies you might call them, not different ways of salvation. Mankind has always been saved the same way from Genesis to Revelation, from Adam to the present day, and that is by faith alone in Christ alone, by grace through faith. But nevertheless, clearly, if you look through Scripture, you know, God interacted with Noah in a different way than he did Abraham, in a different way than he did Moses, in a different way that he does to us today through the indwelling Holy Spirit. So Ephesians chapter 3 talks about these different uh, economies or dispensations. So that's just a quick uh, summary. You can go to the Plum Creek Chapel website and see a more detailed uh, doctrinal statement. Uh, but uh, th that's kind of our background. So doctrine is important, and it's something that we believe in the teaching uh, of doctrine. So uh, whether it's Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings, special events, it's going to be centered in the Bible. Uh, when we have guest speakers in, they're going to be like-minded and be teaching what they're teaching based on the Bible. When we had, for example, Russ Miller, creationist here last year, he taught from Genesis 1 through 11 about a literal 24-hour day young earth creationism because that's what the Bible teaches. Uh, so that's doctrine, and that's a key part of the church. Unfortunately, if you go back to my opening illustration of a churches that get outside of Christ's mission, some churches, again, have become an end to themselves. They've abandoned the authority of God's Word. In fact, even begin to mock it, as I illustrated from the people that I overheard uh, talking at that one conference. And then the second one that I want to mention this morning is the idea of fellowship. Of fellowship. Now, community and fellowship are related, but they have different nuances. Community, as we talked about, means kind of we have something in common. We're, we are part of a group. We're in this together. Fellowship is more of an intimacy. It's a more, because we're in this together, we can really connect. We can really relate. And you see this in verse that same verse, the uh, same section, verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. So it's not just about teaching. You, know, you go to some churches that, that value doctrine and that maybe even have a like-minded understanding of God's, of, of the scriptures, and you feel like you're sitting in a seminary class, Right? You know, ever the preachers preach for an hour and a half, and they're parsing Greek verbs on the overhead projector, and you're taking copious notes, and and, and but they but there's a coldness there. There's not a warmth and a fellowship like what the New Testament church should be. Now, there's nothing wrong with digging deeper and maybe taking some courses and understanding the Word of God. Certainly, those that are called to teach the Word of God ought to be good stewards and be well trained in, in the Word of God. But the, the, the New Testament church is more about exhortation, a little bit different uh, than simply rote teaching. But the church as a whole is, is even about more than just that. It's not just doctrine, that's important, but it's fellowship. It's fellowship. And the Greek word there is the word koinonia. You may have heard that word. If you look at some of the different lexical uh, nuances there, association, fellowship, communion, close relationship. In other words, we all have something in common. We're all part of the same group. And so there should be an intimate closeness that binds us together. You know, it thrills my heart to see people before and after our gatherings fellowshipping and catching up and hugging and 
Uh, I mean, I know some churches you're not allowed to hug anymore, and you got to stay six feet apart. But we don't we don't believe that here. We think, uh, hey, good to see you, right? And so there's this there's this intimate fellowship, and we are making a making it a priority of late to also have even special designated fellowships where we can just do that, right? Uh, so we're going to play games. We're going to we're going to do uh, you know maybe just get to know each other type games and eat i mean who doesn't like to eat right i mean that should be priority number one at fellowships right so we're going to do that coming up february 6th is our next come together uh fellowship but it ought to be hardwired into everything we do as a church so that if you have a need it's it's quite comfortable picking up the phone and calling someone in the church body because they're like family there's that closeness uh so what is it that's binding this this commonality for the church? Well, Paul tells us it's the fellowship of his son. God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his son. So we all are saved by the same Savior. We're all part of the same body of Christ. We're all positionally in Christ when we're born again by faith. We all have the same permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit who binds us together. And we all worship the same a creator God the Father. Uh, so this word fellowship here is that same word, koinonia. Another verse that came to my mind yesterday, uh, and I thought of Steve when I saw the 49ers beat the Packers. Of course, it's a great day to give glory to God whenever the Packers lose, but it was especially nice yesterday because uh, I could implement Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Right? Now Steve knows I'm a Cowboys fan. Uh, but we're brothers in the Lord. And so he wept with me, or wept, sorry, wept, wept with me last week when the Cowboys lost to his uh, beloved Niners. Uh, and then this week I could rejoice with him when the Niners beat the Packers uh, because there are things that are more important than football. I know you wouldn't think I would say that given how much I talk about the Cowboys, uh, but they're done, so we're moving on. Uh, and so I'm trying to be more spiritual. And less, and less fleshly. And so we're talking about this, the body of Christ and the fellowship that we have with them. And it was really cool to think about, man, Steve is really happy right now, right? So I hope I can rejoice with you next week too uh, and not weep, but we'll see. Time will tell. They're a good team. They're really, really good. Uh, so this is what fellowship is all about. So there you have it. There are two more characteristics of the model church that I think we never want to lose sight of. Doctrine and fellowship. Doctrine and fellowship. So we're going to look at some more characteristics next week from this first model of church, but let's stop here for now. What's the, what's the takeaway? What's the takeaway? Well, first of all, I would say, know what you believe and stand firm, because Christ's reputation is at stake. You know, Christian means Christ-like, and this is Christ's church, right, ultimately. <laughs> We're just one local iteration of it. And let's never forget that. You know, um, We exist to, to give glory to the Lord and to represent uh, Christ to others. So know what you believe. You've got to have that stake in the ground, so that which in our case is the Word of God, so that as things come up, we can run them through the grid of Scripture. So that when the culture is telling us that you know, the government tells us when to meet, where to meet, how to meet, what to sing, where to sit, what to wear. We can search the Word of God and say, you know what? Not in my Bible. 
know, the church is a divine institution that is accountable to the Word of God, not human government. So know what you believe, and, and finally, remember we're all in this together. Uh, I, we've uh, seen that, especially recently when we've come together with some challenges uh, with health with people. And as I've said for the last year or so, who knows what lies ahead uh, in terms of our uh, country and, and things that are happening. So we more than ever need to remember this fellowship aspect that we're all in this together. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word and just for uh, the encouragement that it is to know that we have some place to turn for guidance, that we're not left out here having to wonder and decide for ourselves, that you've given us everything we need for life and godliness, and you've given us everything we need as a church in your word. We thank you for what you're doing in our midst. We thank you for uh, just your guidance and protection, and we pray that we would always be sensitive to your leadership and to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray again, if there's anyone here or listening uh, online that does not know uh, your Son as their Savior, the one who died and took their place on the cross and rose again, defeating death, hell, and the grave, that today, in simple childlike faith, they would trust in, in Jesus and Him alone as the only one that can save them. And it's in His precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.